Hello, I'm Philip Lawrence Carter and today I'm going to be talking about some things and also some stuff. I'm going to first read you the introduction to my book, Who Built the Humans, which is a novel-length collection of short stories, all of which are interconnected, so I call it a fragmented novel. But since that term does not yet exist, and I'm not famous enough to make it exist, I've legally called it a short story collection because it is 47 short stories. But in my head, it's a novel. Introduction. I consider the short story to exist between the poem and the novel. Ideally, a short story will exhibit the precision that can be found in poetry and will share the deep world building made possible in novels. This idea is perhaps why, at nearly 125,000 words, Who Built the Humans is a strange hybrid of the three. The 47 stories happen in 11 distinct universes, creating a fragmentary novel that unfolds differently with each new reading. An idea in one universe might find itself satirised in the next. A time traveller may have their fate split in three. A poet might turn into a black hole. Ideas about the beginnings and endings of human life will be treated with both ridicule and reverence, depending on how the book is feeling. The 47 stories are arranged like poems, with no two stories from the same universe bumping into each other across the pages. This way, a front-to-back read will show you the true shape of the multiverse as the collection unfolds, and a less linear reading will show you the hidden bridges between the worlds. For those of you who want to follow the 11 universes in sequence, there is the cosmic topology at the back of the book, a second index which places the stories in order of their appearance in their respective universes. There are also directions at the end of any stories with sequels, so if you find yourself particularly invested in the story of a character such as Tim Foyle Tim, their futures will be easy to find. Without becoming too emotional, I'd like to say that writing this book has completely changed my outlook on life. First I proved we lived in a simulation, then I disproved it. Then I proved it again and decided I'm running the simulation on an old computer on a spaceship I stole in a life I don't remember. Then I disproved my own existence and stopped existing, and then I came back for a while. Trapped forever in this introduction thanks to the fact that you're now reading it. I think I might die when you stop. I don't know if there's a way out, and I think I'm okay with that. It's nice in here. Enjoy the book. I'll enjoy my last few moments as you turn the page, extinguishing this little universe. So that's the introduction to Who Built the Humans. And then on the next page, there is the index, which shows you the 47 stories as they appear in the book, if you're reading it from cover to cover. However, at the back, there's another thing called the cosmic topology. And that shows you where all the stories are in relation to each other. You don't need to know this, but for the nerds in my fan base of 11 people, by the way, it's 10 out of 11 people that are nerds. So this is for them. The cosmic topology exists to show you where the stories are in relation to each other. So there's 11 universes split across 47 stories. So for Lucy's universe, you'll have Toward Uncertain Stars, and that's on page one. Remembering the Humans is on page 45. The Pilgrimage is on page 127. And the planet called Process is on page 273. For the Furukawa universe, you'd have From the Stars A Million Voices, and that starts on page 11. You see that no two stories from the same universe touch each other in the manuscripts. They're separated on purpose because I wanted... I'm, I'm a visual thinker, so the novels actually come to me as images before they become words. And Who Built the Humans was a network of sort of tree branches of stories, and none of the branches 
touched each other. So if there was a big branch and it had little branches coming off it, none of those little branches would bump into each other, but they would intersect and occasionally meet up even with some smaller branches from another larger branch, if you see where I'm going with this. So the structure of the novel is sort of arranged like a tree, and there's a reason for that philosophically there's an overarching 48th story which isn't in the index because it's just written entirely in subtext and I don't know how many people are going to notice that it's there but I know it's there and I enjoy putting it there so it's secretly quite a clever novel I think compared to other stuff I've written um, it's not straightforward but it is straightforward if you want to just read it and you want to read 47 short stories you can do you don't need to know the underlying stuff that's going on underneath everything, which is why the secondary index is at the back, because I wanted it to be something that if you didn't bother to read the introduction, if you're not the kind of person to bother, if you want to jump straight into the stories, you won't see the second index. You won't know it's there. That way it's not intrusive. But at the end of every story, which potentially has a sequel, there's a little note. So at the end of uh, Toward the Stars... Toward Uncertain Stars, there's a little note that says this universe is continued on page 45, and that points you in the direction. If you're interested enough in Lucy's story, you can think, right, I don't want to read story number two anymore. I'm going to skip ahead to page 45, and I'm going to read what happens to Lucy rather than read number two in the book. And you can do that at any point in the book. And what's even more interesting is... I have to be honest, I put a lot of effort into this, is there's 15 poetic stories as well. And because there's 47 stories total, the 15 poetic stories can turn up once every two stories, starting on number three and then ending on number 45. So there's not one on either end of the manuscript, but they are on either end. They're just not at the extremes. They're just one removed. So they interact with each other in a strange way as well in that they're designed to be sort of stand-up comedy, poetry, spoken word things, which I was happy performing before the book was finished, just before the viral apocalypse. So what I did with them is I wrote them in such a way that you could get to the end of one and you could think, oh, right, what happens next? And you can actually choose what happens next. So if I go on Selfhood, it says at the end of this one, rather than just a note saying, move to page 45, if you're still interested in this particular universe, there's a note that says, if the inner selfie tries to find love, turn to page 45, uh, 25. Sorry. If a sulking selfie finds a living poem at her bedroom window, turn to page 37. So then you turn to page 37 and you'd think, all oh, right, here's one called On Poetry. And this is like my searing critique of the concept of modern poetry. And I'll actually read you a bit of that for the next one. And then at the end of that poetry poem, about how much I don't like poems, which is a poem, <laughs> it gives you the choice of three different ways to go. If the witless writer rings their wallet vainly, turn to 91. To explore the many meanings of meaninglessness, turn to 75. To gain immortality, turn to 141. So it becomes sort of like a game, but only for that one universe out of 11. And actually, despite having the most numerous stories, it has 50... 15 of the 47 stories belong to the comedy poetry universe where they're spaced every every two stories 
there's one of these poetic ones, almost as a form of comic relief. Whilst they're the most numerous in the manuscript, they're actually the least intrusive um, when it comes to look comparing them to other stories because they only take up one or two pages each. They're only about a thousand words each. Whereas the longest story in the manuscript is from the Furukara universe and is 11,000 words long. So that's over two thirds of the entirety of the poetic universe. So there's a lot going on under the surface, you know, under the bonnet. I'm really proud of it. And I, to be honest, I just recorded this so I can look back in a few months' time when my self-confidence inevitably dips because, I don't know, there'll be other writers listening to this. You can switch between arrogance and misery really, really quickly. Um, I'm somewhere in between the two at the moment. I think I'm experiencing both simultaneously. So eventually I'm going to need to look back at this and think, right, okay, so I did I did put a lot of effort because another thing about my personal writing process is that I just completely fucking abandon things. Oh, no, I don't swear. It's my radio station. I don't care. But I just completely abandon things. If when a project's finished, I'll just fuck it off. All right, right, next thing. So as soon as Who Built the Humans was out, I paid people to promote it. I got one or two sales. To be honest, my adverts weren't very good. The people I was paying to promote the adverts are good people with the right audience. But I looked back and I thought, I was just talking about the book. I wasn't showing anybody the book. And I, it's more I was telling rather than showing and it just didn't work. So I think I'm just going to do like an audio clip of the book for the next advert. But my point is that I forgot what my point was. The point is that I abandoned stuff really quick. So as soon as Who Built the Humans was finished and the adverts were out, I was like, right, fuck this. I'm going to write a novel. Um, and it's the same novel I wrote in 2016 that I abandoned because I thought my writing skills at the time weren't they had not yet to catch up with the universe I wanted to create. Um, so it was called The Stephanie Glitch, and it was about a girl called Stephanie, obviously, who tries to find the core reality. And that's the science fiction premise, but the premise behind that is she's trying to find a pure version of herself. She doesn't know who she is. She's 17. She's confused. She doesn't really understand love. She doesn't really understand other people. She feels like an alien. Um, there was in the first draft, she was wondering if she was autistic or not. That's based on my own personal experience as somebody who was part carer, part older brother to somebody with what doctors will say is severe autism. I don't know if that's politically correct anymore. I'm not on Twitter enough to keep up. What I do know is that I had those worries and that I projected those on Stephanie. So it's interesting. She has this sort of... Um, crisis anyway i'm going to go because i'm being disturbed but i will i will return with another one shortly and i'll talk about the stephanie glitch and the writing process for that and what university was like for anybody thinking about studying creative writing that could be useful couldn't it well thanks for listening um i will see you whenever goodbye i hope the corona leaves you alone etc.